You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. We're your host, Jessica and Caroline, and on today's podcast, we're talking about being fearless. We recently had the opportunity to interview Jean Case about her new book, Be Fearless, Five Principles for a Life of Breakthrough and Purpose. While reading her book and speaking with her, I learned that fearless is not just about quitting your job and taking a massive leap of faith. There are many ways we can all be fearless every day and make an impact, simply by deciding to do so. Jean's book weaves together stories about ordinary people who set out to change the world. Through the five principles outlined in the book, readers are given a clear roadmap to ignite change at work, in life, and in their community. We love the inspiring stories she shared throughout the book, as well as the foreword of the book written by none other than Jane Goodall. As a reader, it was clear to me that Jean not only has researched being fearless, but has lived a fearless life. She serves as a CEO of the Case Foundation, investing in people and ideas that can change the world. She's also the first female chairman of the National Geographic Society. She has led a successful career in the private sector and played a leadership role in America Online, otherwise known as AOL. As you move forward in this new year and think about the ways to make an impact, we hope this conversation with Jean encourages you to also be fearless. Jean Case, thanks for joining the Getting Smart podcast today. Well, Caroline, it's a delight to be with you. Thanks for having me. So we said a little bit in the intro, um, but you just released your new book, Be Fearless, The Five Principles for a Life of Breakthroughs and Purpose. And I just wanted to start by talking a little bit about fearless and how you define fearless and wondered if, you know, through writing this book, did the definition of fearless shift in your mind or did it stay pretty consistent from when you kind of went into authoring this book? Well, I think it's really important to establish right up front, although the book is called Be Fearless, we state in the book, I do, that Um, you know, fearlessness is not the lack of fear, but instead it's the ability to look fear in the eye, dig deep and push past it. You know, I think one of the things I tried to draw out in the stories I brought to the book, um, was that really people who have done extraordinary things all have faced fear of one kind or another. But again, what separates them is this ability to push past it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, you know, one of the things I really appreciated about the book is the wide array of examples um, that you highlight about people being fearless. It's not just examples of people quitting their job and chasing what seems like a far off dream. There's examples of people being fearless in their everyday lives. Um, I'd love for you to just share a little bit more thoughts on that, like how, how we can all be fearless and kind of the examples that the book puts forth to help motivate people for that. Sure, sure. Well, the book is premised on uh, five principles, but the principles are brought to life through storytelling, as you say. And, you know, it really comes out of my own work where I've had the opportunity to travel around the United States to different communities, meeting with people from all walks and, of course, around the world, too. And one thing I find in common is that everybody has ideas about how to make the world a better place. But often what they're lacking is some kind of framework or belief that they can be the one. Um, So the Case Foundation undertook research some number of years ago in which we looked at the core qualities of change makers, innovators, and entrepreneurs. And it was out of that work that we discovered these five principles that are present wherever breakthroughs take place. And I love those five principles. I loved how the book was organized around them. You know, the one that really struck me that I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about was the let urgency conquer fear. 
Um, <laughs> I think that's such an important principle and something that not often is talked about. Um, so I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about um, how that you know came about and even your research and the examples that you share in the book. Sure, sure. Well, you know, Martin Luther King called it the fierce urgency of now, and it is one of my favorite principles. And, you know, the idea is when your back's against the wall, when you feel you're at a critical moment, um, sometimes that will give you just the extra little oomph to sort of push you forward and do some things that you otherwise might not be able to dig deep and find the courage to do. And yes, I use a number of different examples in the book uh, for Let Urgency Conquer Fear. One is super contemporary and one takes us back a little bit. The super contemporary, like literally as we speak, is the story of Chef Jose Andres, who uh, went to Puerto Rico as Hurricane Maria was threatening and made a commitment to provide uh, emergency food services to the people of the island. You know, here he is, a chef. What he knows is cooking. He doesn't really know big organizational or disaster relief kind of work. But nonetheless, he lets the urgency of the moment take him down there. And I was just with him this past weekend. You know, he ended up serving nearly 4 million meals to Puerto Ricans in need following the devastation. But more importantly now, he's staying on in the island and he's building a more sustainable and resilient food sector so that when the next disaster hits, you know, people like Jose won't have to go and put themselves in place to serve the people of the island. So that is a very contemporary celebrated story right now. But, you know, another really uh, inspiring story to me is of Corey Ten Boom. And Probably most of your listeners have never heard of Corrie Ten Boom, uh, but she was a woman in her 50s, unmarried, living above the Watt family watchmaking business in Holland when the Nazis were threatening her, the communities throughout Holland. And she looked out the window from the shop one day and saw her Jewish neighbor being held at gunpoint by the Nazis. They left him on the street and they ran in to ransack his home. And with that, she got up from her chair and went and grabbed him and brought him into the shop, putting her own life at risk. That began for her what became truly a fierce role as a resistance warrior in the Nazi resistance movement. And she ended up saving hundreds of Jews and ultimately went to a concentration camp herself uh, as a result of you know, what she had done for Jews. She was later released. But I'm quite certain had that moment not come, literally that urgent moment, she may not have found the bravery to go and save a neighbor's life. Yeah, I mean, I, that story is, is so powerful. Um, and it, it also connects, you know, we focus primarily on education. Um, and really, there's so many great examples, too, in the book of students and how students have been fearless, <laughs> um, right. especially your talk around the Parkland students, right? And I think yes. that that's such a great example, too, about, you know, not letting uh, the fear overtake what needs to happen. Um, how do you think, you know, both students and teachers can sort of act on act on that principle and really think about I think there's a real urgency in the education field today um, to drastically no shift questions. how things are. Yeah. So I, I just love to hear a little bit of your thoughts on, you know, how sure. else can that happen? Sure. Well, I have the benefit of hanging out with a lot of what we call ed tech innovators and people thinking yeah. about new solutions for the education sector. But I also, one of the stories in the book is of a young woman named Rachel Semka, who together uh, with another student, uh, created something called Swipe Out Hunger at UCLA. 
Rachel and some of the other students realized that there was food insecurity on the campus of UCLA. Uh, as many as one in seven students didn't have adequate um, access to food that they could afford. They could So if they were on financial aid, for instance, it would pay for their tuition, but not for the meal plan. So they did what most students would do. You know, they did different food drives, getting people to donate, et cetera. But they finally realized, gosh, what if we could use the meal card and you could swipe meals for someone else who can't afford a meal? And as you may know, at the end of the year, each year on college campuses, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars unspent on these meal plan cards. So they, you know, adopted a plan to use the the meal cards, and they were so successful. They've expanded to 60 campuses, and last year, the governor of California wrote a law to compel California universities to address food insecurity through swipe out hunger and put $7 million in the budget to help them do just that. So that was a student just looking around, seeing a challenge, and realizing somebody had to come forward with a solution and she chose to be the one. And the other aspect of her big bet and her fearlessness is that when she put her hand up to be CEO of uh, the nonprofit, a male colleague of hers said to her, you're too nice to become a CEO. But Rachel had the ability to stand in the face of a comment like that and dig deep and say, you know what, I can do this job. And she did. And it's just been remarkable to see the progress they've had. Yeah, I love that. I think that there's so many great examples too of not only the impact that people have made on a, you know a solution that needed to be created, but like you said, um, it's really you know the impact that they've made on human rights and women's rights, and um, you know looking to people that have been underserved. And so I think the fearlessness can have um, an impact in a variety of ways that way. Right, right. And you know what we find is, I mean. The bottom line of the book is really that it's ordinary people who end up doing extraordinary things. And I was fortunate enough to have our National Geographic Explorer in Residence, Jane Goodall, write the forward for the book. And, you know, she's such a celebrated researcher and scientist. But what she really was, was a young woman in Britain who just had a passion for animals and wanted to spend her life working with them. So she moves to Africa with no formal education under her belt, goes into the field to do chimpanzee research, and specifically because she didn't sort of come out of the field with all the biases and the protocols, she sort of reinvented how a lot of animal research takes place. She later, of course, got her PhD from Cambridge, but it's a great story of an ordinary young woman who just goes into the field with a fearless passion and finds a way forward. She's, of course, changed the world. And um, it was truly a privilege to have her write the forward for the book. I, I loved reading that. I have a three-year-old, and um, we have a book about Jane that we've been um, reading to her at night that she loves, that one in Rosa Parks. And it's just really fun to read about um, you know, these women who have led kind of ordinary lives but have gone on to have such a major impact because they weren't fearful and they didn't let that drive them. Right, right. But, you know, the other thing that I think we try to make clear is, you know, there is this myth that it takes these special superhuman qualities like genius or wealth or connections. Of course, our research that identified the five principles really debunked that myth. But another message in the book is that, you know, there, I, sometimes I have a lot of students on college campuses say to me, you know, I'm just not sure I'm creative enough to have an idea. Or I don't, you know, I don't know where to get started. Um, there's, uh, we talk about how Thomas Edison talked about being a good sponge. 
that he really credited a lot of his innovations with his ability to look around and see what others had done or started and how he could pick up where they left off to take an idea forward. So there were probably 18 patents around the light bulb before Thomas Edison got his for nearly a century. Um, but what he was able to do was look at all the efforts that had taken place before him, learn from those, those failures, and then push forward with the same idea. Anyone can do that. Pick a field or an area they care about and go to school on what's been done and be a good sponge, as Thomas Edison would say. I love that. I'd love to go back a little bit. You mentioned National Geographic Society, and you're the first female chairman of the National Geographic Society in its 130-year history. Um, That's correct. I'd, I'd love to know. Yeah, I just I'd love to know um, why you've chosen to support their work, and and how has their work proven to be fearless? Oh my gosh, on so many fronts, I would say fearlessness is in the DNA of National Geographic. Um, at its founding 130 years ago. It believed in the power of science and exploration and storytelling to change the world. But a funny story about that, you know, it was a very prestigious and serious organization. But at the time, over 100 years ago, photography was the new innovation. And so the editor decided that he was going to add some photographs, you know, to aid the content of the magazine. Well, board members, actually, some of them resigned saying this photography is just a fad <laughs> and saying it's not serious science. Well, of course, if you fast forward the tape to today, we have nearly 100 million Instagram followers from around the world. We have the number one social media footprint in the world. We reach almost a billion people a month. And I've seen firsthand how lives have been changed and knowledge just extended because of the efforts of National Geographic in the field. But more importantly, paying attention to how you take the scientific or exploration knowledge and get it into the hands of people everywhere. Yep, I, it, it's become approachable and people have been able to see parts of the world through that work that they never would have otherwise. That's um, so true. Mm -hmm. It's been really wonderful to see, and um, congratulations on your continued work there. We just are really big fans, and again, have appreciated the social footprint that has been created. Thanks. Um, so going back to kind of your your start, where did your interest in difference-making really come from? It, you, you've had difference-making, I think, in pretty much every part of your career thus far. <laughs> I have. I really kind of had a desire to spend my time and resources in life trying to empower others. And it's meant that it's been a pretty circuitous route to where I sit today. But I was born in a really small town in Illinois called Normal. Mm -hmm. And I was the youngest of four children being raised by a single mom. And I was actually, we later moved to Florida where I became the recipient of philanthropy. I was on a full scholarship at a private school. So, you know, I really could see firsthand sort of the inequality of opportunity. I could see in my private school, the kids from those families, you know, the best colleges were available to them, they, their parents had connections to get them in good jobs, etc. Whereas in my neighborhood, which was a little bit more of a working class neighborhood, the same kind of talent existed, brilliant people with great ideas and the capacity to do great things, but the opportunity wasn't there. So I think from a very early age, because I was a recipient of generosity, I really made a commitment to try to use my time uh, basically uh, empowering others and trying to lift others up. 
and that work has obviously continued into the Case Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, how is the Case Foundation really supporting change makers and people being fearless? Well, you know, it's true about the Case Foundation. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But it should be said that that sort of circuitous road I talked about, you know, I thought I was going to be a lawyer in the public Mm -hmm. sector. I came to Washington working for the Reagan administration for President Reagan. Then I had uh, unfortunate circumstances where I found that the funding for my role was about ready to be cut or delayed for some period of time. And they asked if I could maybe take a month or two off. Well, hmm. of course I couldn't. I had rent to pay like everybody right. else in a car payment. Right. Like I'm really feeling for the federal workers that are kind of furloughed right oh, now. Um, 100%. And so I took, a, I took a temporary role and jumped over to this, what would become the first online service in the nation. It was called The Source. And I fell in love and saw that the opportunity might be greater working in what we know today is the internet. Um, to empower others than if I'd stayed, you know, in a role in the public sector. So I really spent most of my career in technology, really focused on democratizing access to ideas and information and communication. So it was a natural then when we started the Keys Foundation, um, our motto is we invest in people and ideas that can change the world. And that's what we do. And those are many of the stories that I tell in the book. You know, and I think through your work, you've obviously studied change makers for decades. Um, what characteristics have you found that um, change makers often have in common? So I think it defies what most people would think, and it's kind of what I said earlier. It really is ordinary people that do extraordinary things. It's just that we usually hear about them, you know, once they've had the success. And as I've made clear, What I'm trying to do in the book is take readers behind the curtain on these stories of success, some you know and some you don't, to see that, you know, these often started out as the most ordinary of people and sort of step by step chased a big idea or a big bet uh, to break through with success. The five principles are really what we found, and that's why I wrote the book. And if you could offer, um, you know, one piece of advice kind of in closing, how can how can we all start being more fearless other than obviously reading um, the book, which I (laughs) highly recommend. Um, How do we start today? What does that look like? So I think it requires us to start right where we are. And that's the first chapter of the book. And I tell us a remarkable story of a woman who did just that working as a sole practitioner and built a national movement. Um, You know, take a look at what you bring to the party, what things you might use to start with in some small way to go forward with your big idea. Um, And then really the principles are there to serve as a playbook. I say, you know, be bold, take risks, don't let failure stop you, and let urgency conquer your fear. Jean Case, thank you so much for being on the Getting Smart podcast. Um, Again, we really appreciated um, the book that you wrote and uh, more so than that, just the work that you've done and what you've contributed. Um, You've had a really great impact and we will continue to follow your great work um, and be sure to share all the different ways that our readers can um, follow it and be in touch with you. Great, Caroline. It was a joy to be with you. Thanks so much for what you do. Thanks to Jean Case and the Case Foundation for speaking with us today. You can check out the show notes for all the links to her book and social media. Be sure to also visit and follow the amazing work of the National Geographic Society. As you heard Jean say in the podcast, they have quite the following on social media and share breathtaking images from around the world. 
And we'd love to hear the ways you're being fearless and making an impact in your community. Send us a note at editor at gettingsmart.com to be featured in an upcoming blog post. And be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, you can check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. That's it for today, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica and Caroline signing off.